Welcome to Ask the Chief Information Officer on federalnewsradio.com and 1500 AM. Now your host, Jason Miller. Welcome to the show. Today we hear from Dave DeVries, who retired after more than 35 years in government, including the last year as the Chief Information Officer of the Office of Personnel Management. DeVries sat down with reporters in his office in Washington before he left federal service to become the CIO of the state of Michigan. Why are you leaving? When are you leaving? And and, uh, what's next for you? Why am I leaving? It's out of family consideration. I postponed going back to Michigan and to take care of some family stuff there uh, over a year ago. Uh, Came here. And you just know that it's time. And I got some family considerations there that I just need to take care of now. The hardest decision here was making this one, just because of the various projects we have underway, the things that we have done here with the team on board in my time period here. But there is, as you may know, there is no good time to exit out of, out of the federal space. And I weighed long and hard on, on this one here. So. DeVries was then asked about his accomplishments as OPM CIO. The accomplishments start first with building the relationships throughout OPM, to getting the leadership team on board here inside the CIO. So introduce uh, Mr. Rob Leahy as my deputy. He came on board. He's the first deputy CIO for OPM. Uh, he came on board in January. And so that's why now with the, me as a CIO, he is the uh, deputy CIO. We now finally have the right leadership in place and then a strong CISO under the, the uh, leadership of Court Chase. And then we, we have filled out the uh, appropriate teams there. Of course, with the hiring freeze of this past year, we were also affected by that. But again, now we've got the requisitions on the street, so to speak, to fill those. And just as the other uh, government agencies are trying to fulfill those critical uh, technical skills with the right folks, we are do, doing the same thing. Yeah. So that's the, uh, the uh, first one. Secondly, I, I think, is getting the clear picture here of what we're trying to do. This is about OPM and the businesses that we do. So we do hiring. How do we attract young people in from college? How do we attract them in from other walks of life? How do I bring in somebody that was maybe in government, went back out to the private side? How do I bring it back in again to work in the government sector? How do I maintain them throughout that thing? How does Dave DeVries move from agency A to agency B to agency C and get promotions and get other job opportunities? And how does that help benefit both the government side of house as well as the commercial side of house. At some point in time, you spend enough time in, you will separate. And so when you separate, you go through the whole thing of how do you get your benefits, your health care, your life insurance, and all that kind of stuff, and also your retirement check. All of that is what OPM does. That is what OPM should be known for. That's what we do here. We also do, along the way, your background investigation checks. And that's not just for the federal employees. That's for all those contractors out there that need to work on what I would call the defense-level programs that require security clearances there. We do those for all those contractors, too. We do that across the board. That's what OPM's mission is, um, and that's not what we're really known for, but that's what we need to be known for. Let's dig into your year at OPM a little bit. I think a lot of people are a little surprised. It's only been a year, meaning that you're leaving after so soon. When you look back over the last year, what are some of the things that you said, this is what I'm going to accomplish and this is what I have accomplished? So I think the first off is um, coming in here and understanding the budget side of the house as best as anyone can. I think we've got a better handle on the budget process here, how the IT and the cybersecurity stacks up inside there, and then how do we alert that to the OMB and to the, the Hill as they go through their, their things. Of course, 
This past year was kind of a challenge with the continuing resolution that went on through April. And again, all agencies were affected by that. Two, understanding where we are in the life cycle of our aftermath of 2015. So right after the, uh, the events of 2015, we set out a strategy of mitigate, i.e. take care of the security problems we had or we had identified during that time, put the money toward the cybersecurity program and so forth. And then it was modernize and then finally move the applications up there. So to modernize both the infrastructure piece as well as the uh, applications. We're well underway with that. This past year, we have closed down four of the nine data centers. Three other ones are marked, and they we're in the process of doing the final plans for those things. Um, and you'll be seeing more of those in the next month. That's a huge thing because, again, just as we talked about across the federal space, if you don't know where your assets are, how can you really protect it and what kind of money are you put, putting toward it? So by reducing our footprint, by reducing the complexity of our systems, uh, we drastically Im improve things that way too. I, I already talked about that the, the third thing I'm, I'm satisfied with is getting the right people on board. And the other thing that goes hand in hand with that is our effort at looking at our contracts that were out there, supporting the IT piece across OPM, restructuring those, and getting better value for what we're putting out there in terms of do dollars as well as people. Again, a, a huge change there. Like every other agency, is, is so easy with the very hard acquisition process to just say, I'll just take the one from last time and do a few changes to it and issue it back out. We've done some wholesale changes of how we looked at that, moving toward more of a service type thing. And again, within the federal acquisition rules and within the federal acquisition process, that's always a challenge, and so we have had our fair share of, of still working through some of the finer points of those things as we go against protests and other things there, uh, which is kind of common across the federal IT uh, land, but uh, we need to keep on work, working at, at th those things there, too. DeVries offered this advice to his deputy, Rob Leahy, who took over as acting CIO of the agency. So I think... It's not just me, but it's a we, we being Mr. Leahy and myself, but we being the business leaders here within OPM to include uh, the acting director today of where are we going with this thing? How are we going to pursue collapsing of our, of our data centers? Are we going to ensure that our applications get modernized? Are we going to ensure that our applications do, in fact, comply with the directives out there to be two-factor enabled? Yes. So he's got that mandate, uh, and so does the, the directorship. She is setting the, the standards there for it. So I think if you go with what I call stick to the basics, we'll continue to make those uh, pro progress there. The challenges I see coming ahead is one of the things that we've had uh, some lively discussion here and also in my last job at DoD, the CIO doesn't need to own everything, but the CIO needs to be involved in it. Everything we do here at OPM that I've talked about from hiring somebody, to maintaining them, taking care of them through their career, to retiring, takes people and IT. And in the IT, I do calculations and I do, you make documents and you do all kinds of things. That's what has to work together there. So it's not a case of does the CIO have this thing in his budget line, but when you go out and procure a service to do managing of your, your budget for your agency, if you do it for the management of your human resources, the CIO has got to be involved with that. Why? 
Because at the end of the day, it's about government information. And just as we were the stalking horse for what happens if you don't do the right stuff, we have to be the stalking horse for this is the right way to do stuff. I didn't say I need to own all that. I didn't say I need to have it all in my building here. But I need to know where it is. And I need to know that it's properly protected and that only the right people can get to the information that they're authorized to get to. So therefore, the CIO's role is very important in ensuring that. Now, we're also faced with a whole bunch of folks that outnumber us here. My board of directors, your board of directors, is about 535 strong on the Hill. And they self-organize into different committees, and they have different competing things there. So on one hand, I can be up there arguing for, I need to have this because I want to go to the enterprise. I go to the enterprise. Well, wait a minute. By doing that, you put the small business at a disadvantage here. Okay, so we have to have those discussions here. And I've said the same thing when I was back at the Department of Defense, too. You can't have it both ways, but that's where we've got to continue to work on what the right pic picture is there for. We have to take a break. My guest is Dave DeVries, who retired after more than 35 years in government, including the last year as CIO of the Office of Personnel Management. I spoke with Dave during an exit interview with reporters. I'm Jason Miller, and you're listening to Ask the CIO on federalnewsradio.com and 1500 AM. Here's Michael Hermas, Chief Technology Officer, Department of Homeland Security, on the Federal Executive Forum on DevOps in Government, sponsored by Red Hat. I hope that the big opportunity here is to actually fulfill a vision that, that I've had since I joined DHS, which is that this technology tsunami, not the silver tsunami, but the tsunami of technological advancements that many of us consider to be the fourth industrial revolution, is an opportunity to radically transform and overhaul government. To listen to the whole program from Treza Media Group, log on to federalnewsradio.com, search Federal Executive Forum. As Red Hat's largest government reseller, DLT Solutions provides you the world's most trusted open source technologies. Through this partnership, DLT Solutions Engineering created CodeEvolved, a private platform-as-a-service solution that delivers a fully configured elastic environment for accelerated application development, testing, and deployment. To learn more about Red Hat's open source solutions, visit dlt.com slash redhat. That's dlt.com slash redhat. Attention government buyers, put your agency's procurement into high gear. GSA's streamlined procurement process isn't just faster than going open market. It gives you access to highly capable small businesses and pre-negotiated ceiling prices that guarantee you receive the best value. And GSA schedules are far compliant, so purchasing is worry-free. Learn more about GSA's innovative schedule solutions by visiting gsa.gov schedules today. Take a look under your bed. Find stuff under there? What about jobs? No? Now try your basement. There's a pair of overalls that overall you're not so into anymore. A perfectly good laptop that hasn't sat in your lap in months. And even more stuff, but still no jobs? Well, you really have both. See, stuff is defined as household articles considered as a group. Sometimes this stuff is no longer needed. Wait, no longer needed? That can't be right. Because remember those jobs you were looking for? Those are really needed, and they're the stuff inside your stuff. Even inside that winter coat that moved with you to Phoenix. Our job is to unlock those jobs, and it starts when you donate your stuff to your local Goodwill. Here's how we do it. When you donate to Goodwill, we sell your stuff to provide job training for people right here in your community. So just by teaming up with Goodwill, you help create jobs. And isn't that worth parting with the leftover guitar from your 80s cover band? Goodwill. Donate stuff, create jobs. Find your nearest donation center at goodwill.org. A message from Goodwill and the Ad Council. Tom Temin here, coming up on Friday's Federal Drive. Automobiles are getting smarter, maybe a little too smart. 
Now the government is starting to re-examine what sorts of personal data cars should be able to gather and report. Plus how federal cybersecurity looks to the recently departed White House cyber advisor, Craig Tuhill. Join me Friday morning starting at 6 for The Federal Drive with Tom Temin. Federalnewsradio.com and 1500 AM. Get a heads up on the technology powering the federal government. Go to federalnewsradio.com, search Federal Tech Talk. Welcome back. You're listening to Ask the CIO on federalnewsradio.com and 1500 AM. I'm your host, Jason Miller. My guest today is Dave DeVries, who retired after more than 35 years in government, including the last year as CIO of OPM. DeVries recently sat down with reporters for an exit interview. Let's pull on the string a little bit about the infrastructure. You talk about how um, your goal is to modernize infrastructure and modernize applications on the infrastructure. Uh, I know the program used to be called the Shell. I know you don't use that term anymore. Where are you with it over the last year? You came in and, and you kind of picked up in the post-cyber breach uh, area. Give me some some progress report on, on the infrastructure because obviously uh, we can talk a little bit about the GAO report that kind of fits underneath that as well. As I sit here right now, I cannot recall what the word Shell stood for <laughs> as an acronym. So let me just suffice to say, Shell is dead. <laughs> it was dead before I got here. What that initiative was, was to, uh, and we started this in some other uh, federal agencies too out there. I don't know exactly what I get, but I want to get to the cloud and I want to get to a more secure compute environment. So I'm going to build something. And the train of thought then was if I put this contract out there and I put it into two known good data centers, I can then just modernize my apps and just as I modernize them, I just move them in. That would take years of work to do. And literally, I, and I think it was a good thing for OPM and the nation, the contractor failed on his contract. By the time I came on board last September, it was already done away with, it was gone. And it was, so the equipment you bought, how do you best reutilize it? And what I did then with the uh, cybersecurity advisor to the uh, acting director, was to make sure that we had a viable plan of how do I collapse my current data centers and put them into the, my uh, core, C-O-R-E, data centers. And at the same time, uh, look at the applications and modernize those things. To that end, we have gone through and one, we know where our boundary lines are for our networks. We have them all protected in depth all the way down to the data level now. So I have a strong cybersecurity where I know what I got and I know how to protect it there. And we're going to continue to fine-tune that, again, as I decrease my number of compute centers where the data is stored at, it only gets better with time because I now know exactly where I'm putting the uh, stuff there. And I can also put more money into what I would call the disaster recovery or the automated failovers if something becomes unavailable due to flooding in Texas or some other things. Um, so that's our process in the past year. And that is also then to get a good handle on where we spend our dollars and how much money is going into the infrastructure side of the house. So, so let me just one quick follow-up. Are you in the cloud now for X amount of percentage of infrastructure or whatever you're going to use the term cloud? Because obviously if you have an internal data center, that can be considered a kind of a managed service type of cloud. What is your environment like today versus what it was like a year ago or even two or three years ago, even though I know you weren't here? So we have several applications and their data that are operating in the cloud. I have put the mark on the wall across the federal agencies. GSA has several initiatives underway to provide the gov cloud type thing. Um, and other commercial entities are doing the same thing, also notably within uh, DOD. 
I want to move to those things rapidly, but I need to have it FSMA high protected. And so that's my one mandate. And so for a lot of my important data, I can't go to that cloud yet because we don't yet offer that. We being the commercial side or the government. We are working hard towards that. I'm thinking that by the end of this calendar year, I think we might have something there for us. And we'll be look, looking at that that hard because it's not hard about the technology. It's, it's hard because that's important data that it belongs to the government. And I'm not just going to stick it out there. DeVries then talked about whether not having a permanent OPM director for much of the past year has impacted his ability to improve the agency's technology. With Beth Colbert here, she was the acting director, but she was the director. She was in charge. She was moved here, and she had good uh, connections back to the Hill and the White House. I think with the current change of administration, there is that tug and pull, and I watched the same thing at D DOD, too. Uh, but, but we're working well through that. It's continuing how to get budgets passed through Congress and how do you take the money back in here and put it to use here. He was then asked about how the transition of administrations has impacted his efforts. It's more of the more recent transition, which is a friendly tension. Uh, anytime there's a major change in administration is how do you bring on the new political le leadership here. Um, this is across the board with yeah. all the agencies now. Let me go back to a little bit of cybersecurity questions. Uh, one of the things in the post-breach time frame over the last two years now, I think a lot of people have now looked at OPM as really one of the leaders when it comes to cybersecurity. Take the continuous diagnostics and mitigation program. OPM is probably one of the few agencies that has actually implemented it at all. Talk a little bit about the, the difference that you see in, in cybersecurity here, whether it's from a technology perspective or even a culture perspective. It's from the top down. Leadership is involved here. So... Number one, from day one when I walked in to this Friday when I walk out, I'm not afraid nor ashamed to bring up bad news. So if something is happening out there, I can bring it up and it gets resolved. We also have caused uh, several different um, spear phishing exercises to take place. We have steadily improved on those things, to include even having some unannounced by DHS with other federal agencies, and we have done very well. We have done, we've outperformed the other ones. That doesn't make your news. <laughs> we don't tell. Um, you know, if you told us, well, it true. would make my news. Fair enough, fair enough. But the <laughs> so we have done very well there. So leadership involvement is critical here again, and and we have that. As I said before, OPM's thing is about people and IT, so all my business people are very conscious about what IT is and how well they fit in there and that kind of stuff. I am very pleased that we are in the advance of many different initiatives with this continuous diagnostic program and that we are leading the way. That's a whole new way for the government to look at things. Right now today I'm measured literally on you said you had these five systems, and here's what their ATOs. We're going to go double-check something. Oh, look, we still have a, a problem that was not patched properly. Oh, you failed. But wait a minute. What about my other defense and depth measures that I have in place? That is not taken into account at all. It is just you have not patched this one thing. You failed. So it's a, it's a zero thing that you cannot have anything wrong. And, oh, by the way, you do it when I do the snapshot, and it's good for the next three years. We're going more toward how do I keep an eye on my entire network and on all my assets because, again, it's not dealing with do I have one system that's not patched. It is 
do I see what's running across my network and can I see where they're coming in through my, my points of entry and what they're, they're doing in, inside here? If I can spot cars on the road before they try and get into my subdivision, then I know where they're at and I can take some action there then. Do, do you get a sense that OPM has been, at least have you seen over the last year, any sort of activity, hacker activity that's above and beyond what you would have expected or what you saw pre-2015? Because as you said, the spear phishing, I know, for instance, I remember a story that um, Cliff Triplett told how DHS had to actually call you guys up and be like, oh, can you let us in because we can't do the spear phishing attack? How would you characterize the activity against OPM over the last year or so? And then how your response has been? Because it's easy to all of a sudden go way too far along the spectrum and make it too hard for anyone to do anything. For the purpose of this conversation here, I'll just say it's a team sport. I do not provide, I do not man the sensors at the national level. That's DHS's job. Just like we do inside DOD, it's, it's done through echelons there. So OPM, we play a very important role inside the greater DHS piece, but also, of course, mine is for my thing here. So all I can say, all I will say here is that we're doing okay. DeVries then talked about the timing of his decision to leave as OPM CIO. I can't speculate on the other ones. Yeah. If you look at all X of us, five, six, seven, uh, we're all in different times and spaces, uh, different types of jobs. Um, I just know why <laughs> I'm going to leave. <laughs> I, I, I can speak to that. He was then asked about his career arc and what pulled him to work at OPM. I joined the military, and I went through almost 30 years being active duty. Never was my career plan to do so. I kept having fun. I kept progressing up. I kept having fun. I transitioned out of the military service, uh, went over to the executive corps inside the Department of Defense there. And I knew I was going to stay federal rather than going commercial because I wanted to complete some of the things I'd worked on my career inside the military. I believe strongly in the work of the federal government and the great people that we have here sitting here inside OPM and other ones. And it is about having the challenge out there and just the opportunity to work with some great folks there. And so when I was, we were getting looking at the, the end of, of my second year plus under, with, with Terry Halverson there, we both realized we could not get off the galloping horse at the same time. Um, and so we tried to do an orderly transition out. So either I would go first or he would go first. And we, we had long discussions on it. And I said, well, let me try first. Because <laughs> he knew when he was going to go. And then that's about the time when, when um, that got across the way here. Then Beth started talking to me. My first answer was no, I, I, I'm going to go do that. But again, as I laid out what the mission of OPM is, it's what I do. I, that's what I did inside the military, too. I took those jobs where it made sense to help promote the, the missions of DOD, the services, and if you can bring about change and help that mission along, then I think it's on us to do it. So I came here, and I, it's been fun, and I'm so glad I did come here. We have to take a break. My guest is Dave DeVries, who retired after more than 35 years in government, including the last year as CIO of OPM. He spoke with reporters during an exit interview. I'm Jason Miller, and you're listening to Ask the CIO on federalnewsradio.com and 1500 AM. Now, securing federal mobility from the full spectrum of mobile risk, brought to you by Lookout. Here's Bob Stevens, Vice President, Public Sector for Lookout. 
I think that a lot of agencies are starting to budget for a mobile security solution, which I think is fantastic news for the government because in the end, what we really want to do is we want to try and make government employees more productive. We want to allow them to, you know, when they're on a trip, to be able to access the United app or the Avis app or the Hertz app or any of those so that they can make their lives more efficient, just like they do in their private lives. So in the end, I think it's about making them productive, also ensuring that they're secure while they're productive. Securing mobility is critically important for the nation's cybersecurity. Using Lookout, your agency will gain visibility into mobile threats and data leakage, close a large security gap, and quantify your risk reduction with Lookout's analysis and reporting features. Learn more about how Lookout mobile endpoint security protects sensitive data and personally identifiable information held in government systems by visiting lookout.com federal. Today's digital transformation report, Realize What's Possible, provided by VMware. I'm Bill Rowan, Vice President, VMware for Government. Federal decision makers are concerned about making sure their agencies are protected from cyber threats. VMware has solutions aimed at strengthening all areas of government IT. Strategies covering how to protect data across all identity and endpoints, how to best secure network infrastructure, and best practices on streamlining operations to adhere to shifting compliance standards. As a pioneer in virtualization and an innovator in cloud and mobility, Take advantage of VMware's software-defined approach and how to extend security. Learn why agencies turn to VMware to enhance their agility and cyber readiness by reaching out to VMware. Let's talk. VMware Solutions, modernizing government IT, streamlining operations while reducing costs and strengthening security. Realize what's possible. Visit VMware.com go federal. This is John Gilroy from Federal Tech Talk. After 10 years doing weekly interviews on Federal News Radio, I have learned one thing. Nobody knows what I do for a living. My company helps technology companies grow through data-driven strategy and tactics. The net result is always increased sales. This includes workshops like leveraging LinkedIn, Good Tweet, Bad Tweet, and many more. We can even help you create new videos and podcasts. Go to Google and type in John Gilroy, the Oakmont Group, to learn more. This is Jared Serbu. I'm tweeting daily about the news that's interesting and important to the armed services and the defense contractors who serve them. Follow me at jserbu, W-F-E-D. Welcome back. You're listening to Ask the CIO on federalnewsradio.com and 1500 AM. I'm your host, Jason Miller. My guest is Dave DeVries, who retired after more than 35 years in government, including the last year as CIO of the Office of Personnel Management. DeVries sat down with reporters for an exit interview. Two things that I wanted to touch base on. One is the MBIB. A lot of people thought that you came over to OPM to help kind of make the MBIB and the IT side work closely with DOD. And then the other piece of this is is the biggest challenge OPM's had for the last probably 20 years around IT is the retirement system modernization effort or retirement services or, again, like the shell, whatever you're calling it these days. Can you just give us updates on both the MBIB and the retirement systems efforts? Start with the MBIB, please. So we'll start with the National Background Investigation Bureau. That was well into the transition thought when I came on board in September. Uh, they went live, I think, the first week in October there, and Charlie Phelan was brought on board as the first director there. And so I think that is part of the uh, mystique out there is MBIB is supposed to just stand up and solve all the world's problems. Um, the world's problems did not come about overnight. It is about a process. And so they've gone through uh, and have done a detailed business process engineering effort um, and that is underway, being worked in right now. At the same time, uh, right after the events of 2015, the hue and cry was, we can't trust anything there. We've got to build something new. And along with something new is 
why do you do keep doing periodic stuff? Why don't you just do continuous evaluation? When you add those things together, that's a whole different process there. It drives you to do things differently. I would tell you that my influence has been felt on both sides. One is what investments do we continue to put in place in the current MBIB legacy IT systems to one, keep on improving the security against the ever evolving threats out there. Two, understanding where the data flows are going. We exchange a lot of different data today with other outside agencies, uh, credit checks and that kind of stuff. That needs to be brought into the NBIS, which stands for National Background Investigative Services, and not system. It's a capability. How do I evolve to something that is now continuously looking at a person's environment, if you will? And is there something that just happened to Dave DeVries that maybe we should put a closer eye on him or have investigators go out in the field and look at some some things there rather than treating everybody the same way and i got to send five people out and ask all these questions and, and that kind of stuff. So it is about changing that paradigm. In the past few months, we have made good strides in understanding what the data feeds and processes might be in there. As I told everybody, if it made sense from a business sense, dollar-wise, to just take all my legacy IT piece for the MBIB process as we have it today and move it into a DoD environment, I'd do so. But economically, you can't make it happen, so it doesn't make sense. I have the same security, the same procedures and so forth around our critical stuff now as DoD does through the uh, DISM. But I guess the one follow-up I have on that is, is the MBIB being stood up from a technology side, and how are you working with DOD to stand up the new technology? It's not a one-for-one. One. You can't just say, okay, turn it on, stand it up. But you have the data. You understand the data flows. You talked about what legacy needs to be continued and what needs to be moved over maybe to DOD. 10%'s been moved to DOD. 20%. Can you? Is there any kind of can you quantify it or, or nothing because so it's nothing has been moved to DOD as we sit here today. We are creating a capability to do a certain type of investigation, which involves a certain population, if you will, to do it with a continuous evaluation. We're working through that. The, the initial capability for that is scheduled for next August or September of 2018. So we're on the way for that one. Okay. And, and again, it, it's important to keep in mind the background investigations, if you were to read something on the paper like this morning, um, it's a we're X number backlogged. I would tell you that's just a number that is in the queue to be processed. And there along the way, if you go and do a national background investigation for just a quick check, it gets back very quickly. If you have to go with a very high-level security uh, check with a whole lot of background stuff in there, then it's going to take longer. That has always been the case. But we, Charlie has that thing mapped out, and we know where those things are. And again, just like every other workforce, uh, the contractors and the government, people change jobs. We have to hire more investigators and change them out and train them up and all that kind of stuff. So we, we're doing well with that. But again, just changing the process is not going to alleviate that overnight because uh, you're going to have to look at those hard cases there and still go after that. On that same note, one of the things I did change, uh, coming on board here about the same time, was when we let the new contracts out for the four companies to hire the investigators. The old way of doing business was the companies would stand at their own network. I would certify that network, and Investigator Smith could go out there. He could get a case 
to work on, and he would have X number of days to do it by the uh, service level agreement back there. But he would own that case on his laptop on the company's network, no more. That stuff is government, and they will use that laptop. It has my configuration on it. I make them check in, and nowhere can they move that stuff back to the company network. It stays on the government side of the house now. And that's a huge change, and it's starting to work out well. I gave it a two-year grace period, and I think it will be much less than that because it does make sense. And then real quick, retirement system modernization effort? So retirement services, uh, again, that relies upon many different feeds too. The heart of that is probably the storage of all these retirees and what the benefits are and so forth. Um, it, we've got another process on, underway now to look at how do I upgrade that thing there. But it's not all of these involve a whole lot of different data feeds that go into it and different calculations. So it's not just a case of I just got to buy a case management and compete it out. It is not that simple. OPM has failed three or four times doing this. So it's, if it was simple, you would have done it 25 years ago. So I guess the question is, yeah. what's different? There's, you've talked about OPM over the years, chunking it up into pieces, taking an iterative approach in Agile, doing stuff in-house. I mean, if there's one albatross hanging around OPM's CIO's neck, <laughs> that's it. I think one of the things that has happened here is we have a couple of, no longer is it viewed as everything is a separate, distinct little project. So when I came on board here, retirement services was, was here. You couldn't touch that because we had a work focus on MBIB. If you think about it, everything deals around a person's record and some dates in there and some other things in there. So why can't I use and reuse the data for other purposes there? The other thing that's happened is, and, and you kind of talked about there with the agile uh, development and deployments and all that kind of stuff, is I'm not necessarily looking for the contract and the RFI that goes out and says, I need a large-scale integrator to do X, Y, Z. I want this capability, and it could be a series of smaller businesses that can do it. And better yet, if I can break up this requirement into several different things, and that's kind of what we're leading now with the National Background Investigative Service capability, is if I can break this thing up and get some of these agile deployment teams in here to do it and show the piloting, because I can scale a lot of those things quickly after that. And it's kind of breaking down. So it is what I call the friendly friction between the large-scale integrators who have devoted years to doing this thing, but, and they got the process down pat. They know how we have to write requirements. We have to articulate them. We have to go through the, the RFI piece and hand them out there. And then they, they do exactly what it is. In two years, I will deliver you a plan. Well, in two years, other things have changed, from technology to the threat to how we want to do, do things. And then it's like, well, you're stuck now because you signed this thing here back two years ago. So we are making a change. Um, I think with the past administration and the current one now with the use of digital service teams and the, the 18Fs of the world and so forth, I think as we integrate some of that thinking in, um, you're going to break through some of this stuff here. Dave DeVries is the, uh, I guess, outgoing OPM CIO. Dave, thank you so much for your time, and thank you so much for your service. Thank you. We have to take a break. I'm Jason Miller, and you're listening to Ask the CIO on federalnewsradio.com and 1500 AM. Join us for the Silverado Gun Show at the Howard County Fairgrounds this Saturday and Sunday. It's fun for the entire family. See you at the Silverado Gun Show this weekend at the Howard County Fairgrounds. Here's Dominic Cassatt, Chief Information Security Officer, Department of Veterans Affairs, on the Federal Executive Forum on Cybersecurity Strategies in Government, sponsored by BDNA. We really, you know, 
took a fresh look at the VA and at cybersecurity back in 2015, and we established a huge uh, integrated master schedule to address uh, some of the shortcomings we saw in VA cybersecurity. To listen to the whole program from Treza Media Group, log on to federalnewsradio.com slash federal executive forum. This is Walker White, president of BDNA. Does your agency have end-of-life issues? Most cyber attacks exploit well-known vulnerabilities lurking in software and hardware that have reached end-of-life. Until you know the end-of-life of your IT assets, you're in a reactive versus proactive mode. BDNA delivers a proactive cybersecurity posture through comprehensive risk visibility and actionable data. Go to BDNA.com, that's BDNA.com, to shift from reactive to proactive mode today. The most dangerous day for a baby is the first day of life. Babies born in poverty zones are dying from infections, pneumonia, malnutrition, but they don't have to die. For nearly 60 years, Project Hope has been working around the world, training local healthcare workers, delivering medicines and medical supplies, giving newborns the healthy start they need to survive and thrive. Make sure her first day of life is not her last. To volunteer or learn more about Project Hope, visit projecthope.org. Lyndon Johnson once said, a president's hardest task is not to do what is right, but to know what is right. If you are a CIO of a government agency, you know what that means. Because it's not just about gathering intel. It's about gathering the right intel. Wisdom served daily by a team of award-winning journalists like Jason Miller and Tom Tamman. Federalnewsradio.com. Experience the difference. Welcome back. You're listening to Ask the CIO on federalnewsradio.com and 1500 AM. I'm your host, Jason Miller. In this part of the show, we catch up with Bill Newhouse, the Deputy Director of the National Initiative for Cybersecurity Education, or NICE, program. NICE issued its latest workforce framework earlier this summer, and Newhouse talks about what agencies need to keep in mind to meet cyber workforce goals. Now, this framework is not necessarily built or written for the federal government. It's written for the broader audience. But talk a little bit about how federal agencies could use the framework to really help them meet the goals. There's several different initiatives out there, whether it's the cyber executive order from earlier this year or even last summer's OMB cyber workforce strategy. There's a lot in here that agencies can really put to use. Indeed. Already there's a federal cybersecurity workforce assessment act or action from an act of a cybersecurity uh, Workforce Act of 20, 2016. It came out in December of 2015 as part of the full NDAA law that came out that time frame. Anyway, it, it says that OPM will work with and, and, and you know, NIST, is Commerce, and, and other agencies to develop uh, a coding structure by which we can assess the workforce, and the coding structure should come from, from the NICE uh, framework. And, and the language isn't quite as precise as, as I'm vaguely <laughs> paraphrasing here, but the, the bottom line is First action, and OPM is leading the charge. They, they've, we've, we've taken the, the NICE framework work roles, turned them into codes that OPM can digest into their electronic uh, systems that they use to, to track the workforces that they manage for the federal government. Uh, and, and so they've, agencies had to express how, you know, that they're going to do this, how they're going to do it, and then they have essentially next year to do the actual assessment. And, and the bottom line there is so much of conversations around cybersecurity are you keep saying you don't have enough or you, you know, you, you, there's this notion that there's, there's gaps and, and we need to hire more people. How do you know that? Well, if you don't know your existing workforce to some level of specificity, you're maybe in danger of being considered, you know, you're generalizing and it's hard to, hard to show exactly what you mean when you 
you say you have, you, do, you don't have enough. So this is a step towards that, and and the process will is going to end up with positions in the federal government being coded as if they, if they have cybersecurity work involved in them, there's some threshold that lets you say a, a work role and, and up to three work roles can be coded into a position. So the framework has 55 work roles and up to three of those can be put on, on you know, my position in the federal government that would say I, I'm, maybe I'm doing R&D, maybe I'm doing sysadmin. Likely for me, it's going to, mine would be R&D and maybe you could put me down for some policy work in one of those work roles. High level kind of, okay, now I know that that Bill Newhouse, who works at NIST and the federal government, is in the cybersecurity workforce. Doing that for every agency, it's going to take a couple iterations for, for all the data to get a little bit normalized because people who are starting into this process, they come. you're asking your HR teams and the hiring managers to, to figure out how to do this quickly, do it, do it well enough that we learn something and then keep track of it in the future so that we can make decisions. From a federal point of view, that's, that's one immediate adoption action around the framework. Otherwise, the specificity of, of knowledge, skills, and abilities, tasks, and work roles, and things like that, they influence. So the Centers of Academic Excellence program that NSA and DHS manage together has some to, to be a school that's designated as a CAE, they've got to they've got to display demonstrate to DHS and NSA that they meet uh, you know, the standards. And the standards are often reflected in in a, in a thing that's not in this framework. It's called knowledge units. But those knowledge units do get mapped back to the things in this framework. So it, again, common lexicon is is helping that process. I'm trying to think other other immediate opportunities you know, that this framework applies. When we get to certifications and, and credentials and things like that, the, the, this, there's no mandatory things yet. You know, DOD 8570 in the past has, uh, for information assurance, had some words about certifications that were that pushed on the industry for have been and continue to push on the industry. The framework will will be part of the update that the DOD you know works out uh, eventually on on that uh, directive. So it'll come back in different ways that the federal government uh, you know has referenced this framework as they've made as they make new policy decisions for different parts of, of our of our agencies and the other thing that jumped out for me was you referenced the dhs tool the the position description uh, yeah, tool indeed. talk, so that, talk a little bit about where that fits in a part of dhs back when they had a they had a cyber skills task force earlier a couple of years ago and it was led by some private sector folks to kind of give some recommendations immediately to you know to dhs and and upon acting upon that the framework was referenced, and, and the notion of improving the position descriptions that we use uh, in our vacancy announcements for the federal government, and in this case, DHS specifically, the, the commitment to, to try to come up with a system by which they can leverage the language in this framework. So push-button PD is a, is a tool that you can get on the DHS NICS portal, N-I-C-C-S. So if you just Google DHS and NICS and, or even push-button PD, those those words will get you to that tool, and that tool uses the framework and, and follows some best practices towards developing a position description. Which, if you've ever looked at USA Jobs, you see that there's duties and there's you know lots of different things that would inspire an applicant to think that I, I'm ready for this job. Using the framework to help do that is a good outcome. So so that tool first was aimed at DHS but but then we've been sharing, you know, showing it to other agencies and trying to to figure out, you know, what when it can be used and support things. And so it, it is it is growing traction and it's available. It's a spreadsheet uh that has you you, you can run 
a, a workbook, a spreadsheet workbook, and essentially, and you can take it and try it and, and see how it works for you. One of the, the things that happens in the federal government and in the private sector is job vacancy announcements, position descriptions. Don't make it easy to measure immediately, like, oh, am I talking about cybersecurity here? Sometimes the word will be in there, but sometimes it won't. And and so our ability to even say how many job vacancies right now that are posted that say cybersecurity takes a little bit of a personal filter. And if, if the PD tool were being used, it would be more obvious. And, and that, that would help the federal government at least count uh, how many vacancies are out there today and, and do the continue to do better metrics on all this so that we're we're able to see trends faster and and see progress. I think the position description tool, we've written about that several times, is is hugely important because, again, the standardization when you go from one agency to the other. And in the end, that's what really this framework is all about. I mean, as you guys are developing and improving it and you're looking at other cyber tools that you're providing, whether it's the agencies or, or the private sector, it's all about getting people on the same page. What comes next for this effort, the NICE framework, or, or just NICE in general? What, what's, your, what's your next? And once this is done now, what comes next for you guys? Well, you mentioned the executive order. We're, we're the, the part that says Department of Commerce will work with DHS and others and things like that. NICE at NIST, our program office, has got the, the lead to convene and get everybody together. And, and, and we did put out the request for information on this topic and, and have had over 90 responses that we're, we're sifting through so we can make a, an executive order you know, paper to return it back up to the, to the White House uh, for their digestion. That's an immediate one. That's happening now. We have our workshop, uh, NICE as an annual workshop uh, conference, excuse me, and that's being held in Dayton the, the first week of November. And we'll be having a pre-conference seminar on the, the NICE framework, and there's there's other activities. And, and uh, you know, the word adopt this framework is, is, is part of the, the, the what we often say, you know, specific to this framework. The adoption is please come to it to reference it when you're when you're thinking about your your cybersecurity workforce when you're making decisions around cybersecurity workforce if we all start to use this common language we'll 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 know what we're talking about faster together uh, as you've already pointed out in some of your questions so you know that, that that pops in my head is immediate there's so much other activity nice you know we have a program office here at NIST but nice has a strategic goal and an objective structure with three goals all those are being worked on in, in different ways. Other other agencies work with us. DHS has already been mentioned. NSA with the CAE programs. O, OPM had a, a full cybersecurity workforce strategy that they pushed out last year in 2016. Continuing down with that, they've they've made progress. They they're putting out more guidance. They've created a HR cadre that uh, is more prepared to talk about this framework and talk with their hiring managers to make all of the cybersecurity hiring, you know, better across federal government. And that's that's a goal of their whole strategy. And there's the CIO Council Workforce uh, Committee that, that is you know, leveraging the concepts in this framework against things like creating some back to the position description model, let's get some position descriptions, you know, pre-built that help agencies uh, put those out faster, that have good language that's common and consistent with the framework. So making that, you know, helping to publicize that. There's tons of work, and part of the, the EO response will, will, will was data gathering. So we'll have more things that we have in our lists of we know this is happening at the state level, we know something is happening, you know, at a, at a particular part of the country, two-year colleges, things like that. We already knew much about, but we know, you a few more examples of, and our, I'm, I'm going to you know, leave out partners. The National Science Foundation is, is always providing great funding for regional community college you know, groups like CyberWatch, CyberWatch West, um, 
Uh, I'm going to leave out the other three or four, and they're going to be mad at me. But uh, you've got activities in, the, in, in all parts of the country where we're trying to help prepare our two-year schools to step into this challenge, too. So that's our focus moving forward is the EO, our next workshop, and, and getting people to tell us how well this framework – let's witness how well this framework supports all our needs and then uh, continue to, to think about how to make it better is one of my goals. Specific to the framework, the, the earlier frameworks had notional job titles and included competencies. And we've, we've, tried, we've, we've broke competencies out of this framework because the effort – to, to kind of go through and, and revalidate and make sure they're up to date was something we just couldn't picture having all the resources to do, but, but groups have, have begun that. So NIST will, will take our special publication 816, which is a role in IT-based training, role-based training for cybersecurity and IT. We're going to take that NIST special pub, update it as a draft, and include cybersecurity competencies in that document so that we can get them in front of people, because many people want to talk about workforce in terms, and people, individuals, in terms of competencies. So that's, that's uh, going to be uh, one of the things we, we've, we're going to work out. The challenge of, a, of this framework as a straight you know, 120-page document with 80 pages of tables is its usability. So first off, we've, we've already created a reference resource spreadsheet that makes it easier to see how the KSAs and the tasks relate to the work roles. Um, we, we, we have a couple of volunteers who want to help us build a machine-readable and relational database kind of versions of this, so that's something that we're going to see about how to do and, and get some consensus on the best way to make it a real tool so that when you come up to it, it like you get some sort of if you if you care about this work role you might care about these or if this is a KSA or a task that you're interested in it these these also show up here and there and that'll help create that uh, better awareness of what the whole framework has in it yeah and then you know I know I can go on forever on this stuff and I have a bit the the notion of, of diagnostic assessment for individuals like how 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 people can can figure out if this is the field for them. You know that that is a an area with very little consensus, but lots of energy towards figuring that out. So, so nice and uh, has heard from a, a fair number of people that that's that's something they'd like to know more about. And and that'll come in, you know, as we nice has a focus on on the path to pathways for students. And and you you be surprised that. You know, there is a all the way down to K through 12. You know, what, what what are the things that we ought to be saying at, at those levels of education? Is it co-curricular? Is it built into the curriculum? How do how do we present cybersecurity in, into that area of education in a way that is useful to society because cybersecurity matters to everybody and also useful to get people and students, you know, students in particular, to stay uh, focused and interested enough in cybersecurity that they'll continue to pursue it as a career when, when, they, when they matriculate past uh, you know, high school and into two-year and four-year schools and things like that. And apprenticeships is an area that implies that uh, you know, perhaps the, the full higher education model isn't necessary for all cybersecurity work, and that's, that's something that's a growing area of, of interest for NICE and, and to, to talk about and to promote and, and to create those opportunities for, for people who don't want to take the higher education path but want to get good, useful, and interesting, interesting careers going. That's all the time we have for today. That was Bill Newhouse, the Deputy Director of the National Initiative for Cybersecurity Education, or NICE, program. You've been listening to Ask the CIO on federalnewsradio.com and 1500 AM. I've been your host, Jason Miller. You've been listening to Ask the Chief Information Officer on federalnewsradio.com and 1500 AM. Subscribe to this show on Podcast One or iTunes. 
Your story, it lives in River City, where you can enjoy a metropolitan vibe and a small town feel, where we set the standard for service and looking out for one another, where there's so much more than steak in our thriving food scene. Your story is the story of Omaha, told by those who live it and love it. Whether that's helping you keep up with the Cornhuskers or creating the content you crave. And here in the Omaha World Herald is where it comes to life. Omaha World Herald, where your story lives.